Imagine finding out that your water had been poisoned on the orders of one man. You've been drinking, bathing, and cooking in lead-laden water for well over a year now, while that man and his cohorts have told you it was safe. Now every stomach ache, every twinge of pain, every lapse of memory is suspect. Your children's intellectual development has been called into question, and help from the state is a far-off dream. These are just some slices of life from Flint, Michigan, and the man behind it all isn't Lex Luthor, it's Governor Rick Snyder. It's arguable that Michigan, since 2013, has become one of the most advanced fronts in the battle against creeping anti-democratic forces and austerity in the whole country. The Republican regime in Michigan swept into law Public Act 436, a.k.a. the Emergency Manager Law. This law basically gives the governor the ability to supplant and dismiss a city's elected government by way of appointing an emergency manager to cut costs, at any cost, who is responsible only to him. As we'll see, proven once again, that approach to governance is disastrous. It's not all gloom and doom, though. The population is not only coping with the situation through charity and solidarity, as we'll see in the second part of this podcast. Organizations and individuals are coming together to fight. People's World was on a bus organized by the group Progress Michigan to take citizens of Flint to the Michigan capital for Governor Snyder's State of the State address. On the bus, I met Jessica Owens. She's a mother of an eight-year-old boy and a lifelong resident of Flint. She had with her, I think it was three baby bottles filled with water straight from her tap. Upon seeing them, this is my genuine reaction. Jesus, I hadn't seen it like that before. Hold on, I have one that's not frozen. Oh my god. This come from my tap. That's disgusting. Yeah, isn't it? The baby bottle had on it a cute pink little owl, and right below the cute pink little owl was a brown, cancerous-looking accumulation of matter. You remember in elementary school when the teacher would break out metal filings and scatter them on a white sheet of paper, then hold a little bar magnet next to it that would point the metal filings in one direction or another depending on its relation to the poles of the magnet? That's kind of what it looked like, but suspended in water. Officials had told her that this was safe to drink. It's life-threatening, damaging effects, and a lot of the, after they've been affected, it's the... Um, the damage is irreversible. Right. And so, yeah, that's, as a parent, that's a huge concern that I have, not only for my son, but for all these children, and not only the children, but everybody, but especially the infants and the children that, that consume the most water, you know, bottles and formula and what have you. Jessica's son's last blood test came back normal for lead, but she plans on getting him retested soon to be sure. The half-life of lead makes it so that it doesn't stay in the blood for very long. The highest levels could be behind him, but the damage already done. Just behind me sat two women. I'm Joyce Harris. And Gloria Robinson. The two lifelong friends knew something was up when their water bills had skyrocketed the previous summer. We was concerned about the high water bills, so we started attending the council meetings because we couldn't get the water company to come out and explain how the water bills is over $200 a month. These high water bills were a direct result of the emergency manager's decision to switch 
from Detroit water that was pulled from Lake Huron to water pulled from the Flint River. They were taking jugs, like empty water jugs, okay. and loading it and riding from on their bikes, asking people for water because the city was so. They were shedding people water off left and right, right? they couldn't pay these huge bills. Because right? they couldn't pay these huge bills. So it may be one person on a whole block that had water in my neighborhood. I'm telling you the truth. And so people would ask you, could they fill up a few jugs of water? Yeah. But we didn't even know it was contaminated. I mean, we yeah. knew it was contaminated, but we didn't know it was death. Back in 2014, General Motors stopped using the water from Flint and switched back to Detroit water from Lake Huron. General Motors didn't like the uh, cars yeah. being with that, that water. That's well, then I'm you. wondering about my body then. Uh, if, if it can mess up a, a car, what will it do to your body? The demands of the people I spoke to could be boiled down to two things. One, medical treatment for exposure, and two, reparations for unjust bills for poison water. When we got to the Capitol building, these affected individuals found that they had the organizational might of pro-democratic forces behind them, all of which identified the governor's dictatorial city manager law at the root of this tragedy. Here's Cindy Estrada, vice president of UAW. The citizens of Flint said that their water smelled, that their kids were getting rashes. No one listened. After, after GM's parks were corroded, now tell me, how is it that it's okay for a park, but it's not that it's safer to go into the human body? And then they didn't listen, right? Then after that, when, um, when the Virginia Tech came in and did the um, blood test, people still weren't listening. The governor's office was still saying that it was not high levels of lead. So what I don't understand is how this governor yesterday can make a comment on Twitter and say that people are politicizing this issue. Well, this is a political issue. They only want to pay attention to cutting costs instead of looking out for our children and our elders. Then I'd say this is a political issue. It's criminal! can come in and take away democracy because, again, they're looking at cutting costs instead of the human value of people. Then I say it's a political issue. When they can come in here yesterday and start saying, now the governor is saying that this is a crisis, right? But we know that he's only saying it's a crisis because he was called out on national news. And you know what, I gotta hand it to all the activists, to, to Mrs. Mays and everyone, all the UAW activists that were out there in the streets when nobody would listen and you guys were out there and you didn't let them turn you away. And is that he just created a whole bunch of activists. Protests that unfolded shortly after that speech was unlike any I had ever been to before. There was no game plan, just rage, just the outcry of a traumatized community. The mass of over a thousand climbed the Capitol stairs led by Union and Black Lives Matter activists. They were met with locked doors behind which were stoic police. From there, groups broke off and at one point Every entrance to the Michigan Capitol was blocked with people singing and chanting. Someone wrote on the wall of the Capitol in blue chalk, Arrest Snyder, and Flint Lives Matter. There were folks with actual torches and pitchforks. 
Mosquito torches, but torches nonetheless. Just inside the relatively small Michigan Capitol building, Governor Snyder gave his State of the State address, where he vowed to make all emails regarding the Flint water crisis that he sent between himself and other public officials public. This was a step forward because in Michigan, the governor somehow is exempt from FOIA laws. That's the Freedom of Information Act that applies to most other responsible government entities. Snyder, to the surprise of no one, managed to spread the blame around, saying that local, state, and federal government all failed the citizens of Flint. But I know about a thousand people who would have at least two-thirds of a problem with that statement. And if you listen carefully to certain points of the recorded speech, you can hear the crowd outside shouting. It was the explicit goal of a few individuals to find the place outside the Capitol building from which they could best expect their voices to penetrate the chamber. And that it did several times and bursts of monosyllabic war cries and free jazz riffing on that tuba you heard in the last clip. I spoke to activist Nayira Sharif about the governor's new pledge for transparency. Democracy Defense League and a coalition of Clean Water were part of the, the many grassroots activists that really fought to find the truth of what was in our water. And now, did you hear, because Rick Snyder's in there giving a speech right now, mm-hmm. did you hear that um, he plans on releasing all the emails having to do with Flint? What do you say? Well, what's, your, what's your immediate reaction to that? Well, that's good because we can actually find out who actually poisoned us and know their names and occupations and all of that stuff. But we still have people like how how he's even handling like this emergency is piss poor because it's not it's not well coordinated. He's actually having rations on water that people have been donating all around the world. And so he's rationing that out. And people are like asked to show you your papers because if you don't have a valid ID, then a state ID, a driver's license, you're not able to get water. You have to wait until someone actually comes down your street. So there's not really coordination with that. So like actually, like right now, we have people who actually, they still need water, but we still need to replace our infrastructure and we really need to repeal Public Act 436, the emergency manager law, because that created the Flint water crisis. His unelected emergency managers dismantling democracy. Since then, the governor's heavily redacted emails have been released, and he has requested a special form of Medicaid from the federal government for the children of Flint. Not quite the overhaul Naira Sharif and other activists are demanding, but steps. Calls for Snyder's arrest continue. Back in Flint, citizens still mobilize, some for reforms, but others for survival. Pastor Ezra Tillman of First Trinity Baptist Church and his wife Katrina have been running a water station out of their church in downtown Flint every Tuesday and Friday. Every day they receive water donations from around the country, 24 packs, 36 packs, gallon jugs, and every Tuesday and Friday they give every ounce away. So you can see we moved a lot of water yesterday. Um, and I think we got, how many shipments did we get today? Just one? About 100 cases. About 100 cases um, today. Oh. And how many people usually come to pick up water from you? Um, it's kind of 
you know, I don't know if we can put a number on that. In the hall of their church, there's a stage that's about 18 feet wide and maybe 8 feet deep. The day before I arrived, the stage was packed full with water, and while I was there, shipments began to fill it out again. The Tillmans don't ask for photo ID when they hand out their water like the National Guard outpost around the corner. They don't limit their charity to one package of water per day either. In fact, the Tillmans have done a lot to supplement the National Guard's work. So all day yesterday, it's not just people coming up, we also are taking cases of water, 50, 60 cases of water to other churches so that they can service there, you know, because our church is downtown. Mm -hmm. So we're not really going to have a lot of people walking up to the church door, knocking on the door, asking for water. Um, but what we did yesterday, we went over to the fire station. I don't know if you all saw that. Um, they have people lined up right now because the National Guard is giving out water at the fire station around the corner. So I talked with the National Guard, talked with the state police, and I just said, hey, is it okay if I just stand here? Because they're only giving out one case per day. And they're giving out 24 packs of water. So in each case, it's 24 packs of water. They're only getting one case per day. Well, if you got a family of three, a family of four, I mean, the two of us can go through a case of water just drinking it. But we're talking about drinking, brushing teeth, cleaning up, you know, washing, cooking, bathing. You know, that's just not enough water. So we went over there, and um, after they got their one pack of water, they're also passing out testing kits and filters. Um, over there as well. We just said, hey, come over here to First Trinity. We're right around the corner. You can get another pack, another pack or two of water to help kind of get you throughout the day, the next couple of days. Mrs. Tillman introduced me to some volunteers who were there to move the water from whatever vehicle they arrived in into the church. One of them had his water bills on hand. The bills were for two units, one occupied and the other unoccupied. The occupied unit's bill for poison water was $377, and the unoccupied unit, whose water was only turned on for a few days for inspection, was $206. And you eat it. You eat it. Because the city of Flint do what they want to do. I, I think they shouldn't, it shouldn't charge anybody for water since they can't drink it or yeah. bathe in it. Yeah. Just yeah. breaking them out. I've got a tenant yeah. right now. His mother' hair is falling out. And I told her to go to the doctor and, and get it documented. Her dad has sores on him because of the water. I said, go, to the, go get it documented. There's a sense here, and widely so, that if residents of Flint don't get their medical ailments documented, they won't get any help in the long run. The government will find a way not to pay out for their mistakes. I spoke with Pastor Tillman about the effects of these water prices on his church and the congregation, as well as what he feels needs to happen in order for Flint to regain some sense of normalcy. We have an annex across the building we use twice a week for um, giving away clothes, and maybe three, four people may go to the restroom, uh, be it uh, how busy it is that day. You know, some people just hit in and out, and uh, we're paying $400, $500, $600 a month. You know, for active of eight days a month that the building is being used. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it's very, very pricey and taxing um, to our community and, you know, uh, to our members, be it that, you know, we have a high percentile of retirees and seniors, and so they don't set income. So um, it's, it's really a, a burden. And um, it's kind of like you're a prisoner to the situation because you pay your bills, you don't get your water, you can't flush your toilet. You know, so it's, it's really awful in that regard. Prisoner is the appropriate word here. Many homeowners in Flint who want to move away from the disaster simply can't. 
you can't sell a home with contaminated water pipes. I use this term uh, of, of the day talking to someone, talking about like we feel like we're refugees, you know, but you can't be a refugee because you can't escape. Hmm. You know, um, you, you're going to take a loss to leave, you know, uh, so that's the reason why most folks can't go. So then you're stuck staying mm -hmm. here. Um, so you're a prisoner to it because you have to deal with the situation um, as, as it presented to you. It's... Um, it's more than a notion of the kind of pressure that people are really under um, and they have adapted to, you know. So a lot of the voice of people are not even really being heard because they have said, okay, well, it's our circumstance and it's how we have to deal with it. I began to think that the fight that I saw at the Michigan Capitol was situational and that eating it, as the volunteer had said, has become the new normal. There was a sense of resignation to circumstances and yet an acute awareness of what needs to happen to fix it. Pastor Tillman told me that he sees his church's operation as part of the bigger movement. From our position as a spiritual leader or whatever, we understand this injustice is unrighteous. Then you get a response to say, yeah, this has been rough. Then I find out members who hands are uh, being affected, their skin are being affected from washing dishes and things of that nature. It starts to come out. So um, really that's why this particular um, service is more of a movement mm -hmm. that has picked up as of right now and some people may not understand what's going on because now we're trying to give a voice as the church in service to address the issue um, the, the problem is that the governor solely is responsible you know on any level you know it is a travesty for anyone to point at the president to blame him for it or to go to city council to blame him for it because there's no possible way that these things happen inside the city and he did not write off on it. That he did not get the report on his desk of the, the testing results. That he did not get the financial um, um, problems within the city concerning uh, the water base. You know, uh, and, th and that's what it gets down to because in the day, it, it's about the dollar. It's about the dollar. I think everyone knows that, but I guess we kind of rear away from stating it's about money. It's about this poor city that's not producing to our state. And so while we dump money in that city you know so um to tell the truth you know i don't see another way how we can get around that it's the governor's fault the um state the state address that he said on yesterday um are blatant lies i know city council is on fire uh, i know many past in the city are on fire um because we know what has been stated what has been promised but then someone has to be the fall guy so um he knows his presidential run is his dead. He's, that's definitely not going to happen now. Mm. But he's going to say he's sorry, but how are we going to see that money? He'll be way out of office by the time the money gets here. If there's one thing that you, you want people outside of Flint to really understand, um, what would that one thing be? That it does not stop after the cameras stop rolling. That this is going to be a long, continual fight until they continue to be aware and make sure they keep their eyes on Flint to see what our government will do about it while we are going to send funds across uh, seas and send our children across seas to fight and to guard uh, oil and that matter here in America water is not being serviced among us while we're sending water to other places as pure Michigan um, to make sure you understand that this problem will not be resolved until there's digging there is there is a infrastructural system being put in the ground and to the homes to make sure people are getting quality water. And until that type of thing is done, whatever, the story's not over. It's not going to end. And as you look around our country, uh, these inner city places have been vacated. 
they're um, they're desolate, they're destroyed because um, the voice stopped. No one kept saying, "Okay, what about this?" So you see heaps of bricks, holes in the ground, and you become pretty much a bearing ground. So uh, they need to know that it doesn't stop until there's bulldozers. People's World will be bringing you ongoing coverage of the Flint water crisis. Please check out peoplesworld.org for updates. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at, at peoplesworld and to take a look at our Instagram at peoplesworld underscore action. Oh, geez, there's a notification from it just now. On our Instagram, we have photos of both the state of the state protest and of First Trinity's water station. Remember, at People's World, we take sides. Yours. I'm Patrick Foote. I'll talk to you soon.